Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghostthropology. The show will feature ghost folklore, which includes both well-known stories and small personal encounters, all ultimately unverifiable, but all presented by people as true. I will tell you the story, after which I will discuss the elements of the story that I think are particularly interesting. While I don't know when, where, or how you were listening to this, I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 30, La Pasqualita. This episode features the second half of my conversation with Albie Robles. For those who missed the previous episode, Albie is a voice actor from Texas who is also the host of the excellent Scare Me podcast. He was kind enough to lend me some of his time to discuss one of Mexico's great urban legends and ghost stories, the tale of La Pascualita. Pascuala Esperanza owned a dress shop in Chihuahua, Mexico, that specialized in wedding dresses. Pascuala had a daughter who looked quite a bit like Pascuala, enough so that most people simply referred to the daughter as La Pascualita, or Little Pascuala. La Pascualita was set to be married in the spring of 1930, and was preparing for the ceremony and for her new life with her husband, when tragedy struck. Pascualita was bit by a black widow spider. Her reaction to the spider bite was especially bad, and the young woman died. Her mother was devastated and went into a deep grief. But, grief or no, life continued, and Pascuela kept her store going. A few months after her daughter's death, Pascuela had a new mannequin brought into the store, and this mannequin was both astoundingly lifelike and looked just like Pascuela's daughter. Rumors soon spread that the mannequin was, in fact, the embalmed corpse of the daughter. As if that was not creepy enough, passers-by on the street report seeing the eyes of the mannequin following them, and the mannequin is said to often change positions when nobody is looking. Pascuela Esperanza is long gone, but La Pascualita is still there, in the dress shop of La Popular, 90 years later, and she can be seen by anyone passing by. Should you have reason to go to Chihuahua, and the scenery alone seems reason to go, stop by the corner and have a look for yourself. Let's talk about La Pascualita, because that is a fascinating story, just all on its own. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, The city that I was actually born in is Chihuahua in, in Mexico. And it's the, it's the capital of the state that has the same name. This city is a it's beautiful and ugly at the same time. You know, you have a lot of garish colors on a lot of the houses, you know, very bright pinks and greens and things like that. A lot of brick walls where they've put wet cement on the top and just and then just put a bunch of broken glass just from like beer bottles and stuff. Just a different colored glass lining the tops of these walls. That's kind of a, a very common thing you see there. And brightly colored, thickly painted wrought iron fences, things like that. And then you have a lot of history. You have a lot of statues in that city. I think that city maybe has more statues than any other city in Mexico. And I don't know if that's still the case or not, but, but it's tons of statues. Uh, there are tons of statues down in, in Chihuahua. 
it's a very old city and there have been little ghost stories here and there that my dad would tell me. Uh, he told me one about a, a house that a woman had had died, you know, generations before, but had stuck around because it was a, one of those family homes for a wealthy family. So generation after generation, she would be there where they would they would things would get uh, moved around, tidied up. It was always friendly stuff. And as they were moving out of the house, they had a painter come and do a painting of the house so, that, for they, could so they could take with them because after many generations, they couldn't afford to keep to keep the house. They, they were forced to leave. And that that woman was in one of the windows in the, of the painting without the painter having having known about her. So and, and you know, I, I just now remembered this. I asked my dad to take me down there and I took a picture of that house because I was interested in that kind of thing. And when we got home that picture didn't develop. It was, it was just a gray haze. Every other picture came out just fine. There was nothing visible in that one picture. <laughs> so um, in this same city where you have these such stories that take place over generations of time, the most famous one, the most well-known one is a story of what they call uh, La Pascualita. And Pascualita, I always took to be the girl's name when I was looking into it recently for my episode. It seems to maybe have been her mother's name. Uh, I'm uncertain about that. Yeah, Pascuela Esperanza was the name of the mother, according to the story. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you. And supposedly this girl died right before her wedding or on her wedding day. Mm. The, the mother who was in so much grief and did not want to lose her, supposedly had her embalmed. And all of a sudden there was this mannequin at the window of her wedding shop, wedding gown shop that looked very much like a like a real person and it's a little too much detail than people were comfortable with. There are, you know, legends about it moving on its own or changing clothes on its own. Personally, I don't know that I believe that part of it, but I have been down there. Uh, you know, every few years when we go down, I always ask my cousin to take me to look at it because it's always interesting because it's it's one of those things that when you see in person, it's it's different than seeing it in a picture. The, the detail level is it's almost incredible if it's not really a thing and it seems maybe unlikely that it's a thing because of how well preserved it would have to be. But I've seen at funerals and at showings what an embalmed body looks like. And in this case, you know, it wouldn't be just embalmed. This this was full on being stuffed, you know, taxidermied. But it has that look. It's this it's this desiccated look that looks unnatural. And when you have like wax figures that you go to Ripley's and stuff, you know, the Madame Tussauds Palace of Wax, they look like statues that are copies of people that they, they 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 have the same skin tone they have they look like that but this this has that tone of skin that uh, that looks like they've put makeup over something that didn't have as much color and the biggest things that i think were the most convincing to me was that there seems to be depth in the eyes you know where the eyeball would be it, it seems like it's not just a line that's been sculpted in it seems that that there is actually a separation there and and depth in like like the corners of the mouth that you don't normally see in in sculptures and the same would go for the, the hands is, is what i will convince me the most were the hands i've seen photos of the hands they are freakishly detailed yes and and the only thing the photos don't quite uh, get across though is is that tone of the skin mm -hmm. where it looks like they've tried to put makeup over skin that was maybe maybe gray or just just colorless in but those hands, the lines on the hands, not just the lines that you see, like when you're doing a palm reading, but I mean, the minuscule web of lines that you you have to look at so close to in order to see that's all there. Yeah, I would recommend that listeners look it up. The level of detail on the hands is astounding. And like I'll be saying, it's 
not simply you know the lines that you would expect that honestly a lot of mannequins have there are wrinkle lines from where the folds in the uh, skin of the hand naturally occur when you move your fingers it's an amazing level of detail the folds the uh, the pores on the back of the hand and mm-hmm. just everything yeah so the basic story is that the mother uh and and you're right i actually thought that Pasquale was the name of the uh, daughter as well. And when I looked into it, I realized, oh, no, that's the mother. Basic story is that she couldn't bear to part with her daughter. So she had her daughter essentially preserved and uses her as a mannequin. And appropriately, given that her daughter died on the wedding day, my understanding is that the store in question specializes in wedding dresses. It's a really grisly but fascinating story. And people do say that, you know, they see it move. You can find on YouTube videos that people, you know, they've captured it moving on video. But when you watch the videos, it's so obviously manipulated that it's kind of weirdly amusing in its own way. Sorry to interrupt for just a second. I just want to add that the story doesn't need that. Yeah. It is so creepy (laughs) already by itself. It's so freaky that if this person managed to do this in, in some way of preserving somebody for this long, that is unknown to everyone else. That's creepy by itself. Oh, yeah. You don't need the moving around. That, that's like Batman villain level stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think you need her moving for it to be a really creepy story. Although her moving is what makes it a ghost story, which, you know, is why I can bring it in. True. There's another element that I didn't find repeated everywhere, but I found repeated in a lot of places. And I think it's intended again to kind of bring some level of creepiness to it, but instead it just sort of gets into this weird over the top place that allegedly a French magician fell in love with her and sneaks into the store at night and uses his magic to allow her to come alive again. And I'm not sure what to make of that. Uh, I wasn't aware that the French were known for their magical abilities, but there you go. <laughs> well, specifically their their magical abilities with the with the dead. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems that I get the feeling that 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 was added. Yeah, you know, yeah. when people telling the story to make it creepier, but it, it just kind of makes it silly. Yeah, it, exactly. I think if, if anything, it, it detracts from it because it makes the whole thing less believable. Because one thing that she looks for sure, you know, real or not, she looks stiff. You know, she mm-hmm. she. That does not look like there's any type of flexibility to that. And if that hand were to open up ever, that it would just break apart in every which way because it does not look like something that has any type of uh, of movement to it. Yeah. One of the things I thought about when I was researching this one is, uh, I, I don't know if you ever watched the show Doctor Who. Oh, yes. So they've got the villains, the Autons, which are mannequins. And oh, yes, yes part yes. of what makes them creepy is that they have weird jerky motions and don't look natural. So, yeah, there's a mortician out of Los Angeles named Caitlin Doherty, who does a lot of videos describing uh, elements of basically embalming or other aspects of death and burial. And she actually covered this one as one of the first things I came across. She's said that she doesn't think that this would be a real body. There's a number of reasons she gives, um, and I'm going to link her video on the uh, notes. But w- one of the first things she brings up is the corpse of Vladimir Lenin in Russia, which is very well preserved, but definitely looks much more dead than La Pascualita does. 
and literally requires an entire office of government-funded scientists to keep it looking that way, complete with replacing parts of it from time to time. Oh, yeah. But then you get into other things. Chihuahua has a fairly temperate climate, which is not really great for preserving bodies. Um, It's one of the reasons why we don't find very many preserved skeletons in California when I do field work. We find some, but not very many because the climate just doesn't lend to it. It neither needs to be very warm and dry or very cold. It's crazy that you're in a line of work where you just find skeletons sometimes. <laughs> that by itself, I don't know if you're too used to it to realize that, but that's crazy. You know, the funny thing is when I was a kid, skeletons scared the hell out of me. I remember walking into a video store and seeing a Grateful Dead video, which had the skeleton mascot. And I just freaked out and I wouldn't go back in the store. And then by the time I'm college, I'm in college, I was routinely locking myself into a room filled with skeletons every night to study. So, (laughs) yeah, you know, you get used to things. But uh, anyway, so uh, Caitlin Doherty pointed out that the body most likely would have decayed and even uh, corpse like Vladimir Lenin, which benefits from the Russian uh, winters, does actually require quite a bit of work. Also, things like post-embalming stitching or stitching from taxidermy would be clearly visible even through uh, the clothing, depending on what was done. So it does appear to be a wax-made mannequin. The eyes uh, is something you mentioned and everything I found mentioned. Apparently, there was a type of wax mannequin that was made you know, for showing off clothing, and it has eyes that are made out of glass, but made in such a way that the light reflects from them to make it look like they're moving when you walk around, like they're staring at you. Apparently people thought this would help sell clothing. I I think it would just (laughs) creep me out personally, but (laughs) that sounds terrifying. So I I thought that was pretty interesting, but I think from there, I, I began trying to actually figure out what there was to this. What one thing I'm curious about is when you visited people there and we've talked to people in Chihuahua, Do you hear more than one version of the story or is it always pretty much the same thing? You know, I, I hadn't talked to a lot of people about it down there because basically one year, my cousin said, you want to go see Pascualita? I said, what is that? (laughs) And then it's it's, it's this woman. And so I got that version of the story. Uh, The only things when they told me that it was that, that that was her, that's what she's known as down there. Mm -hmm. So the only difference being the name between being her name or the mom or the mother's name. But I really didn't talk to anyone other than close family about it because it was just when we're in that one city, we talk, we, we talk, talk about it there. And so that's the, we only got the story that first time around. Now they have the little legend out on the glass. There's like a, a sheet of paper stuck to the inside of it that kind of has the story. Because anytime you go, you see a little crowd of people out there with their cameras and whatnot. It's a big uh, spot for, for tourism. Mm-hmm. Does the tourism seem to benefit the store or is it just something where people come by, look at it and then walk on? Oh yeah. Let's walk on. Cause okay. I mean, nobody's going to go by Hey, let's look at the mannequin. Hey, we're here. Let's go buy a wedding dress. <laughs> yeah. You know that I think they benefit from the notoriety and maybe locally, mm-hmm. maybe locally it does help, you know, when somebody is going to get married and they want, Oh, let's get, let's get the dress from the Pascualita store. You know, then it's a, you have that to talk about. On your special day, you want a dress that may have been worn by a corpse. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> they've uh, but they they seem to have been done well. I mean that that place has been open for many many decades. It's a very old store, and and you look it it looks it like when you're in that part of Mexico, there there's something about being in that downtown of uh, Chihuahua that 
that has just that that old feeling you know that you had these crazy churches down there that are these huge cathedrals that are just gorgeous and detailed and there's a very particular look to, to these old downtown mexico cities mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say I, in doing research for this i mean i was aware of chihuahua as a city and as a state and i was aware of its age because it's relevant to what i studied in grad school but i've never been to chihuahua i never really looked at photos but now that i have i really want to go visit it looks like an amazing place it really is it really is it's it's just crazy stuff that you i guess i always just took for granted growing up but like most houses down there you know anytime you go you go to someone's house it's they have a little bitty room uh, in, with bathroom in the like somewhere off the backyard like just a little guest kind of house because everyone even like middle class like has a servant that will go live out there and they'll and they'll stay during the week you know they'll stay five days a week and then go home on the weekends it's uh i don't know if it's still as common as it was but you just have these little houses in almost every yard uh, that i would go to hmm. and it wasn't until i was a grown-up that i thought like that's really weird mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's really crazy the how common that was mm-hmm. uh, every friend's house i would ever go to was like that and it was and we weren't like upper class we weren't mm-hmm. you know we weren't rich people by any means that's that is interesting so You've heard my podcast, so you know, I try to get into some sort of detail and find meaning in the stories. Of course, of course. And so I really dug into this one as far as I could, and I kept coming up empty. I did come across a blogger who goes by the name Haunted Librarian. She brings up some interesting things. One is that the name seems to have a tie to Easter, Pascua de Resurrección being the Spanish term for Easter, and Esperanza meaning hope. So it seems like the name of the mother may be Easter Hope. If the daughter died in spring, spring of 1930, I think is what's usually cited. The time that's usually given would have been very close to Easter. It would have been in May, which is the Catholic month of Our Lady. So this person was uh, trying to figure out if that meant anything. I think there might be something to it, but the more I read about this and the more I thought it through, I think you got a mannequin that just looks very, very lifelike. It falls into the uncanny valley. I've been to wax museums. They're creepy enough when the things aren't quite real looking, you know? Yeah. And you get something like this where it's very real looking out there. I I think it almost begs for a story to be built up around it. And I, I really wonder if there's anything deeper there or, you know, I don't know. It seems to me like maybe it's just a creepy story because people wanted a creepy story and the mannequin just happened to be the perfect catalyst for one. I I think we always do want to, tie a story to to explain certain things the, the only last things I, I can add is that to me the part of the creepiness is that if, if it were to be real that there is something i don't know if you'd say supernatural but there's something's been done that nobody can do mm-hmm. if they made a movie about this down the line that they would add that she went to a curandero and and that they did some some type of magic thing did something to preserve it that there's something beyond just what we can do to preserve a, a body that's part of like the fun of it for me. The, mm-hmm. the creepiness is, is the idea that this can't be done. And so that that's part of the what makes the idea so spooky to me. The last thing that I'll add is, while it very well could be just this incredible uh, wax figure, if something that impressive went up, you know, that long ago up there, I would imagine there would be others and that the story would be discredited because, well, yeah, but there's also one four blocks down and then there's one over in Juarez and they have one over in Delicias. Like it's the only one. 
it, it's, it, it, so there's a story on that one because th there aren't others like it at other at other stores. Yeah. So even if it were a very impressive one made outside of Mexico, it still seems as if probably other places in Mexico would have gotten something like that. Right. Some store, some store owner would have gone. That is amazing. I'm going to. I'm going to find out how they did that. And I want one for my store. I see all the people out there. I, I want to have that mm -hmm. at some point. Somebody would have, would have had it made. Yeah. It's just, it, it's a fascinating story because the object does seem very out of place. It doesn't look like other mannequins. It looks like some of the better work from places like Madame Tussauds. I just went recently and nothing at Madame Tussauds looks that good. Oh yeah. Okay. It, it looks fun and fine. They all kind of look like the people. Uh, a couple of them are pretty dead on, but they look they look like wax statues. Like there's there's a there's a certain quality that they have. They they have these similar tones of skin. They have a similar look to them about them. Mm -hmm. that, and I'm not sure what exactly it is. I, I I can't quite place it. But but the look of this and the look of those are completely different. So if it were made of, of wax, it would um it would have been it would have to be a completely different process from the ground up right you'd have different craftsmen putting it together than the ones who are putting together some of the uh museum items that we see yeah i think you made a good point that if it's not wax you know if it were actually a real body then how did it preserve so long given that the ussr at its peak kept having to repair and replace parts of vladimir linen yeah you know just it, it's yeah, and that's and that's the I like stories like that because they make you sit and wonder. Yeah, even if it's a corpse, that opens up a whole bag of really unsettling questions. If it's a wax dummy, then that opens up another set of questions that maybe aren't unsettling, but still make you scratch your head. Yeah. So, I mean, I wonder if there if there could be just some type of weird process. You know, by by the way, the as far as the Madame Tussauds, the the word I think I was looking for is. A lot of people throw around that it looks lifelike. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes like the, the very, very, very best ones look look just like the person and, and it's lifelike. And this doesn't look lifelike. Like this doesn't look like right. something that's it looks it looks like a body that I've seen at funerals. Mm -hmm. it, it it has that look. That was pretty much all I had to on that one was I, I keep trying to dig for something deeper and I keep coming across the idea that, you know, maybe it's just a creepy story because we like telling creepy stories and there isn't anything you know it, it's not symbolic of anything or getting at some deeper element of society the way that some ghost stories do i wonder if it would be possible for them to have discovered an early version of what they do now to what's called a plastinate oh like the uh, body works displays right you have those displays where you're seeing the entire muscular structure mm -hmm. i remember reading in uh i think mary roach wrote the book uh called stiff yes it was an incredible yeah. book and there's a whole chapter on plastinates and and they talk about the process how they're injecting basically every pore with with something and that i mean those things look fresh forever mm -hmm. so i'm wondering if they maybe found some way of injecting something you know enough times in enough places early enough to preserve this there could be some way because we do see we do see it done with these other bodies mm -hmm. and it, it, it's just possible that in one place one person probably a very sick individual who had they'd have to experiment a lot to get to the point of knowing how to do this but it's possible that maybe somewhere down the line someone knew how to do something similar to that because 
it's not just in the surrounding cities. Like there's, there's just not one like that anywhere. There isn't a mannequin like that anywhere. Otherwise, anytime that was brought up, they would say, well, look at this one. Canada has one and, and Paris has one. And, but you don't hear about it. That's, I think part of the, what makes it a little more belie- believable is the, the rarity, the absolute uniqueness of it. One of the things though, that uh, the idea of a plastic brings up is actually a very similar question because that's long been an issue with, for example, medical specimens for teaching medical students is preservation. So much like the question of, well, why aren't there others like this? It also kind of brings up, if you did have a plastinated, bring up the question of why didn't anybody make more or try to sell it to a medical school? I mean, like no matter how you slice this particular story, it just brings up questions. Well, well, yeah. If this was real and it was, and if it was indeed somebody that had figured out how to do this, like this was somebody that figured out how to do this on their own time. (laughs) You know, like they spent, I don't know how they would have gone about experimenting. This was, this would have been something that somebody that had some process down or something that they figured out that they'd been wanting to try. And maybe it wasn't looked on or replicated because, it's just so morally terrible, the, the thought of just doing this. Maybe the, there's a fear of it becoming a, a trend or, or taking off or something. But uh, gosh, it's just either way, somebody did a job, whether it's a sculpture or, or preservation, somebody did something that no one else has been able to do before or since. And it is deeply eerie. One of the things that I got to thinking about when I was doing some research on this is are you familiar with the story of Carl Tanzler? No. So around the time that this story appears to have been taking off in the 1930s, a man named Carl Tanzler, who was an immigrant, I believe, from Germany into the U.S., was performing medical or basically providing medical treatment to a woman named Helena Malagro, who was from a very poor family. Carl Tanzler had absolutely no medical training. He was not qualified to do this. He worked at a hospital, but uh, he worked as, I think, maintenance staff or possibly as a uh, x-ray operator, something of that sort. Anyway, after the woman died of, I want to say it was tuberculosis, but it might have been a different illness. He took the body from the grave and he attempted to keep it fresh for nearly 10 years until he was found out in 1940. And I'm going to say right now, I do not recommend looking up photos because they're pretty horrifying. However, you had this real unambiguous example of somebody who couldn't let somebody go and ended up trying to preserve their body. And I, I've often wondered if, if that story being found out in 1940 might have given a boost to the story of Pascalita because there are some parallels and it may not have. One happened in the northern U.S., the other happened in Chihuahua, Mexico. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, there are some interesting parallels there in that you've got somebody who can't let someone go and tries to preserve the body. There's a uh, book the- there that we can. somebody can write a book there yeah. <laughs> where this guy had hired somebody to try to research on how to do this. And that person ended up being the one to... They came up with it for this guy, but ended up using it for Pascualita. There we go. There you go. Decided that the Carl Tanzler is unworthy. Have you seen the mummified children that were found uh, on the mountain? They were sacrificed. They basically found them perfectly preserved after like a thousand years or something. Like it was like their skin is on. They're still in the position that we're left in. Their clothes are perfectly preserved. It's, it's insane. And now in that case, it is up in the cold, of course. 
Yeah. But man, it's incredible how well preserved they were. Uh, the ones I'm aware of were um, Incan. That might be it. Yeah. And they were found high on a mountain in yes. a very cold environment. And yeah, I've seen photos. I, uh, all, my focus is Californian archaeology, but I went to grad school with a bunch of people who were working in uh, South America and they would show me photos of some of the, what are called natural mummies, um, which you can get in desert environments as well as in extremely cold environments. And yeah, they are astounding. The skin color is clearly not, you know, a living, healthy human, but every other detail so well preserved. It's astounding. It really is. Thank you for uh, being willing to come on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for, for having me on. I'm, I was uh, very glad, very happy to get to come on and, and talk with you about this. Yeah. I enjoy your show. Yeah, well, I think that yours is quite excellent. So if uh, any of my listeners would like to contact you regarding the Scare Me podcast, should they and how would they? Oh, they absolutely can. They can look for Scare Me Pod, all one word, or uh, Scare Me Podcast. A search will bring it up. Uh, also, my website, Albie Robles Voice, all one word, will will have a, a link to it there as well. And yeah, Googling my name should, should bring it up as well. And if anybody does want to submit their own little stories that uh, you would like for me to maybe talk about in, in my intros, uh, anybody can get in touch with me at Scare Me all one word at albirobelesvoice.com. And I will let people know that there is a podcast called Scare Me. You want to look for Scare Me Podcast because otherwise you'll get yes, you'll get an inferior product. Well, I, I noticed that after I had I initially called mine Scare Me and then I added the podcast part to it to differentiate it. Mm-hmm. But apparently that one, they, it looks like they put out one episode and, and yeah. then never again. As I say, <laughs> so inferior it, It'll product. be easy to tell the difference. <laughs> Uh, So thanks very much. Thank you. I've heard the story of La Pascualita a few times over the years, sometimes simply as a story of a corpse used as a mannequin, but more often as the full ghost story. As Albie says, it's hardly necessary to have the ghost story. The story of the corpse as mannequin is creepy enough on its own. I think mannequins and similar objects, including, and perhaps especially, dolls, lend themselves to creepiness. They look almost human, but are clearly not really human, falling into the uncanny valley and becoming weirdly off-putting. In the case of La Pascualita, the realism of the mannequin's details, coupled with the fact that the color is just not quite right, and the glassy stairs seem especially unnerving. And from what Albie says, it's even more so in person. Albie's comments about the uniqueness of La Pascualita got me thinking, and after we recorded the episode, I tried to find out who manufactured the mannequin, but only found dead ends. Though with my luck, there's a magazine article or a YouTube video or something out there that lays it all out, and I just managed to not find it. That said, I did find an interesting article from the website Messy Nessie, and it turns out that there were a number of highly realistic mannequins manufactured in North America in the 1930s, one of which even became a celebrity in its own right in New York. The photos that accompany the piece are low enough resolution that I can't tell if any of these have the level of detail of La Pascualita, but they are nonetheless very impressive and eerily lifelike. So it is possible that La Pascualita was part of a trend of highly realistic mannequins and is remarkable primarily for surviving for over 90 years, as opposed to the level of detail that went into her. But again, I can't get high-resolution photos of these old mannequins, so it's hard to make the comparison. 
In the end, despite my best efforts, I had a hard time placing La Pascualita into a larger social or cultural context than simply the uncanny valley. Though I would very much like to hear from anyone who knows enough about Mexican folklore to help contextualize this story better. For now, it appears that I simply have to accept that La Pascualita is a story that has traction simply because it is a good, creepy story. And sometimes, that is enough. If you have a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own, or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's G-H-O-S-T-H-R-O-P-O-L-O-G-Y at gmail. You can find more at kmmamedia.com. Click on the Ghostthropology link and you can find episodes, transcripts, sources, and a link to support us through Patreon. Spooky!